So I'll, I'll, I'll start with a story, actually. My, my father-in-law, when my daughter was born, uh, she, he came to the, to the UK. He comes from India, and so do we. And um, so the baby was just born, and, you know, it was just maybe the next day we brought the baby from the hospital to home, and, and, and one of our neighbors, he dropped a small little present outside the door. And uh, he didn't knock or he didn't uh, ring the bell and he just left it there. And I opened the door, I brought the present in and my father-in-law saw it and he said, what's that? I said, my neighbor, he's just left a present. And I was expecting he would say, oh, that's very kind of him. And he's, you know, he, he was, and that, what he said actually shocked me in the first instance. He said, that, how ridiculous is that, that somebody would just leave a gift outside. That's impolite, he said. He said, you should come inside, you should sit with us and, and you should have a cup of coffee and you should congratulate the parents. And at that point I said to him, it doesn't work like that in the UK. You know, they respect your privacy, they respect your, your, your first experience as, as a parent. And it's a different way of looking at life. But, you know, the mistake I made was exactly what most people do, which is to go in the telling mode that you, you should know better, uh, that this is the culture here. And if I look back, I think that's the crux of the problem. Welcome to another episode of Embracing Differences with me, Nipin Anand. A podcast aimed at engaging with different viewpoints and perspectives about how we as human beings learn, unlearn, recognize risk, tackle risk, and become culturally sensitive. Talking of which, we have a three days workshop coming up in London from the 21st to 23rd of February on culture and risk intelligence. If you're wondering what is the connection between culture and risk intelligence, my answer is this. How can we recognize risk in our everyday life by stepping into another culture? How much do we tend to normalize and assume as we go about making sense of the world around us until we meet someone from another culture who sees things completely different to us? In those moments, what do we do? Do we judge them? Do we control them? Do we evaluate their culture, their rituals, habits, language, behaviors, ethics, and narratives from our point of view? Or do we genuinely make an attempt to understand their culture from their own point of view? That takes confronting our own assumptions and expanding our worldview. And that is what makes us culturally sensitive and risk intelligent. If you want to hear more, you can go on our website, novellas.solutions slash events, and you'll find all the details on the event page, including a detailed brochure of what we will cover in this workshop. Good morning. Good morning. Look uh, at this. We are blessed with this background of Croatia. Rijeka, yeah, one of the oldest ports in the world. Um, and uh, it, we 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 had very very little uh, chance of going around the city. But uh, the thing that I found interesting about the city is, uh, you, you 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 even if you haven't seen the sea and and knowing that this is such an old port, you go around the city and you feel that this is a a city about the port and the sea. Uh, and, and you cannot go through that and, and not understand the importance of culture. So um, true, yes. And uh, 
I used to be one of those amongst perhaps the majority of people who have become disappointed by the idea of culture, that it has become about everything and nothing at all. Uh, it has been so misused and abused that uh, we, we've come to think that um, it's not a, uh, a worthwhile idea or a, a concept to, to build on. Uh, but recently, as I become uh, immersed in in sport, uh, sport has changed so much my idea of culture, and uh, and we've done quite a bit of work lately on 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 the relation uh, between culture and risk intelligence, or becoming uh, understanding risk differently. Um, so maybe it's it's perhaps a good place to start in how what 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 can we tell what can we say about the importance why is culture important for risk intelligent to become risk intelligent yeah yeah so the question is why is um, uh, cultural sensitivity or understanding of culture so important for risk intelligence Pedro I think um, uh, we could have a very detailed conversation on this, but I think it's it's a very simple point that in first of all let's try and understand what is culture or cultural sensitivity and what is risk intelligence and then we can take it from there. And I think the point is simple that that in order to understand somebody else you have to look at things from their point of view. And if you can develop that availability to observe and listen, which is to see and hear from another person's perspective, I think it's a long way to come to improve your risk maturity or risk intelligence. And essentially, risk intelligence is the idea that before you make a decision, can you hold yourself for a little bit of time, for you hold that doubt in your mind for a little bit of time before you make a decision. Because a lot of decisions go badly because we, 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 we react. Mm -hmm. We don't take the time to think and reflect before we act and hence things go terribly wrong. You know, I've had so many situations where people, relationships are destroyed and you see both sides and you wonder if only they took a few minutes to reflect mm -hmm. before they reacted to that moment. So I'll, I'll, I'll start with a story actually. My, my father-in-law, when my daughter was born, uh, she, he came to the, to the UK. He comes from India and so do we. And um, so the baby was just born and you know, it was just maybe the next day we brought the baby from the hospital to home and, and, and one of our neighbors, he dropped a small little present outside the door. And uh, he didn't knock or he didn't uh, ring the bell and he just left it there. And I opened the door, I brought the present in and my father-in-law saw it and he said, what's that? I said, my neighbor, he's just left a present. And I was expecting he would say, oh, that's very kind of him. And he's, you know, he, he was, and that, what he said actually shocked me in the first instance. He said, that, how ridiculous is that, that somebody would just leave a gift outside. That's impolite, he said. He said, you should come inside, you should sit with us and, and you should have a cup of coffee and you should congratulate the parents. 
And at that point, I said to him, it doesn't work like that in the UK. You know, they respect your privacy. They respect your, your, your first experience as, as a parent. And it's a different way of looking at life. But, you know, the mistake I made was exactly what most people do, which is to go in the telling mode that you, you should know better uh, that this is the culture here. And if I look back, I think that's the crux of the problem. Mm. And the repercussions of telling him rather than listening to him and trying to help him realize that this his world and not other people's world is that he went around spreading this story for the next 10 years of his life to say that you know i went to my daughter is 11 now it's been 11 years and every time we speak to him or every time he speaks to his friends and relatives he says it's a ridiculous culture out there you know kids are babies are born and people just left leave stuff outside the the door so he clearly hasn't come to terms with that world view and i use the world word world view because in his world view in his in his understanding in his in his that's that that you cannot do that that's considered impolite and when he sees another world view he's left shocked completely and in that moment if you try to tell him that no 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 it doesn't work like this here you are doing exactly what we do when we issue non-confirmance on board a ship or an asset whatsoever that we instead of listening to people we'll tell them that you shouldn't be doing this this is not in accordance with my world view and it's not in accordance with my you know contextualized processes because contextualized processes is your way of looking at something so i think that's very very problematic if instead we took a little bit of time to appreciate that person's world view which consists of their metaphors which consists of their models their methods of how they arrive at a particular t- truth we would learn so much about that person and i think just to build on that little bit that every world view is coherent my father's world view is very coherent the western world view about leaving presence outside and not not Uh, impen- in, you know uh, uh, infringing upon somebody's privacy is also very coherent it's just two different ways of seeing the world mm-hmm. and so when we talk about a coherent world view what we mean by that is that there is there is a method there is a methodology there is an ethic which is what is considered morally right and wrong there is a there is a choice of certain words for example in this case privacy individual individualism uh, respect for the neighbor and so on and then there is another world view which comprises of a very different metaphor for example uh, social relationships um, celebrations uh, and get togethers so they are very coherent world views in their own the trouble is when we when we don't take the time to appreciate another person's world view and that's where the problem happens and if we did that if we did try that we will experience a little bit of dissonance discomfort mm-hmm. and that discomfort creates doubt in our mind that doubt makes us question our assumptions our metaphors our models our methods and so on and something amazing happens when we question our models and methods 
that we learn something, what are the gaps in our assumptions? What assumptions are we making? Where are the gaps in our worldview? And that, I think, is what connects cultural sensitivity to risk intelligence, that before we make a decision, we question ourselves because we have seen something that is not coherent or that is not aligned with our worldview. Mm. And that is what makes us risk intelligent. Yes, yes, yes. I think that that's very, very clear. Um, there's one thing that you touched upon, which um, I think most people would be tempted to, to dismiss, no matter how clear that was, they would dismiss it entirely on um, we still very much attached to this idea of the yes, okay, there are different worldviews, there are different perspectives. But then there are the perspectives, but then there's the rule. And the rule is objective, and there's in the rule and outside the rule. So uh, it seems very hard to abstract yourself or to ab abandon this black and white worldview, which is just a worldview. It's, it's not objective objectivity in any way. Um, how can we help this demystify this this idea that there's there's a right and wrong regardless of worldviews yeah if i understand your question correctly what you're referring to is that you know granted that there are perceptions uh, and there are no objective realities at some stage somebody will question the fact that you know there is an objective truth and you can't deny that because you have facts you have evidences to prove that Am I right in assuming? Yeah, that? yeah, yeah. And yeah. that uh, where, where you, you, the example you gave is that someone goes out on a ship and uh, issues a nonconformity. That's right. Yes, uh, yes. And doesn't take one second to listen to the perspective of of the crew. Um, and if if they did, that would entirely change. That in in they would eventually, perhaps, I assume end up realizing that from their perspective that that is pursuing the abidance of that rule um, so uh, how i will i will answer this question a little bit differently and uh, i i answer this questions based on uh, my understanding of let's say I indian mythology greek mythology uh, and and uh, and the the roman mythology and, and one of the things I was reading just a couple of days ago, Pedro, was that was this that uh, there was an Indian god. Uh, no, that was it's, it's not. We, we don't believe in wars and and, uh, and and the history when it comes to God. God is is with us all the time in the Hindu mythology. But that's mythology. So in the mythology, Lord Rama goes to to the jungle, uh, and with his uh, with his uh, tutor, with his mentor, uh, Vikramacharya. And they see uh, uh, a demon, uh, go, uh, um, uh, a woman demon, and her, her name is Hidimba. And uh, his, his tutor, his mentor, asks him to, to kill her. Uh, and he says, I cannot do that because the rules, uh, in accordance with the rules, you cannot you know, raise, your, raise, raise a weapon on, on a woman. And in, at which point... Uh, his his tutor reminds him that if the woman is evil and she is creating a lot of problems in the world, then it is your duty to do that. At which point he realizes, yes, he has to do that, and he picks the bow and the arrow and he kills the, this this woman Hidimba. 
And the point is this, you know, it's mythology, of course, it's all mythology, but the point is this, that there comes a time in life when you have to contextualize the rules. Mm -hmm. You have to put rules in perspective. There are many, many rules, and we will pick and choose things that, that would align with our agenda. So if you are an inspector and if you go on board a ship and you see something that you don't like, that you, you, that you disagree with completely, and you disagree with it because it does not confirm with your worldview, you will not think twice to back it up with rules and processes and issue a non-compliance. But if you look at it from another person's point of view, you might realize that they will also have some rules and processes from their own understanding, which gives them the, this, this, this coherent worldview about why they should be doing something. And I think understanding that is so powerful because it helps you understand that there is no such thing like rules and processes in, 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 a, in the wild, in the jungle. Mm -hmm. Everything has, has to be applied in a particular context. So if you took the time to understand their world, which is where you know, I'm repeating myself now, you will come to know that the limits of your model. And I, as I said to you before, every worldview is consistent, is absolutely yeah. consistent because there are rules, there are processes, there are some constraints to back it up until you enter into another worldview and you realize that there are rules and processes and methods and models to back it up as well. And I'm not suggesting one is better than the other, but I think if you are a person in position of power and authority, like an inspector, like a senior leader, like a manager, and you are frustrated that things are not working as you would like them to, then I think it is important to, from time to time, to take stock of your own worldview. And the only way you can, you know, it's a very hard thing to take stock of your worldview because that's how you see the world. Yeah. The only way you can do it is by going into, stepping into somebody else's worldview and saying, wow, I never saw an apple like a fruit, I always felt an apple was a technology. Until you go into somebody else, else's world and you realize, my goodness, I never thought apple could also be something else. And something else and something else, yeah. And, and, and just, to, just to finish it off, and I think one of the things that is very important here to, to say is that we are not searching, you know, if you are a person who wants to learn and he wants to become risk intelligent, then we are not searching for that objective truth at some stage. What we are doing here is that we are trying to appreciate the different, uh, if you like, uh, uh, figments of reality, yeah. the different fragments of reality, as somebody said to me a few days ago. Figments is a beautiful word. What we, and, and each piece either challenges or reconfirms what we already know, but what we are moving towards is this idea of getting to understand the limits of our worldview, yeah. getting to understand the limits of our knowledge, which I call wisdom. And what wisdom does to you is that if you stay in that zone, is that you come to a point where you get a lot more clarity about what is the real issue here, what is the real problem here. And you can get to a stage in this journey where you can start to name the problem. Which takes us right back to risk. In, absolutely. So, you know, Tahitians, for example, did not have a concept for grief yeah. for a very, very long time until the anthropologist Ben Levy went there and he thought that, you know, these are Tahitians and every time somebody dies, they're having, they're falling sick. They, they, they feel disgusted. 
they, they go through so much, but they don't know. They don't have a word for grief. And until the, the, the term for grief was coined, until they identified the problem that this is, this is, they are suffering from a, a real issue here, they don't have a word and hence they don't have a ritual to deal with uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And I think what I'm trying to say is that the more you, people like Ben Levy and, and, and us leaders stay in that gray zone and try to, to, to engage with different perspectives, different realities, at one stage you start to name the problem. And naming the problem is the beginning of all this because once you have named the problems like Tahitians came to understand the idea of grief, you have, what you are left with then is, okay, now I can appreciate the problem. How can I mindfully tackle the problem? You will never solve any problem. You know, that's wishful thinking. But you can mindfully tackle the problem. If you have an organization with limited resources at the end of the day, you know that you're sitting on firm grounds and, you know, this, this whole idea of reacting to a problem very quickly, you know, this is not my worldview, this is rubbish, this is, does not align with my understanding, this is non-compliance. And you spend endless amount of time putting your energy, uh, di- you know, undermining your relationship with the other person because there's no way they will align with your world. They have a different way of seeing the world. And you have to make an attempt if you want to, you know, connect the, 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 the gap between the two. So the onus lies on you at the end of it. Yeah. Because you have the power. You have the power, yeah. yeah. Thank you. I think we've, we've included quite a lot. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, if you go back to the idea of, you know, it's, it's very simple, actually. Cultural uh, sensitivity for risk intelligence. I think that the point is very simple. And it, you can make it as complicated as you like. Yes. That at the end of the day, if you want to understand something, you have to submit control. Yeah. And you have to listen. And it's very hard. But if you... Embark on this journey, it's, it's very fruitful in the long yes, run. Yes, it is. Yes, yes it is. Um, and uh, may, this is certainly for another, a different talk. I think we, we have enough. But uh, uh, it takes us then to the, the, the idea that uh, you cannot listen or appreciate the, the different perspective or the different worldview unless you allow yourself to experience it. Oh, yes. And, oh, yes. Um, and that is uh, such a big step. And that I think this is why it becomes such a, a difficult uh, path for most people to go. Can, can, I, can I just briefly say something here? Um, I was at a Quaker meeting uh, two weeks ago. Uh, a Quaker's meeting in Aberdeen. And, you know, um, Quakers are very unique in many ways. Um, and... What is interesting about a Quaker meeting, I experienced it for the first time. Uh, I read a lot of books on Quakers, but I just wanted to experience it. And I went to that meeting and I just sat there. As soon as I entered the room, they said, do you know the Quaker rules? I said, no. I said, you just go and sit. You don't speak. You just sit in silence for an hour. If anyone has a strong urge to speak, they will speak. So you you just... uh, You just... uh, observe the silence that's that's what we do in the meeting and you know i went and sat in the meeting and i saw that for about 20 to 30 minutes it was complete silence in the room complete silence nobody would speak until somebody would get up they will say a few words and the interesting thing is people will just observe they will not utter a word they will not judge they will not say and then after there will be another 10 or 15 minutes of silence and then somebody will get up and then say something no judging, no building upon, no arguing to say that my point is better than yours. 
wonderful, wonderful experience, Pedro. And uh, and then at the end of it, uh, they 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 asked me if you could join to for a coffee, and I, I did, and it was wonderful. But what was interesting was that as I was leaving the meeting, um, somebody asked me, "So what do you do?" I said, "I'm an anthropologist, and I study culture." And she said, uh, "So how do you study culture?" I said exactly the way I I wanted. I just wanted to come and experience this. I'd read a lot of books on 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 uh, on uh, uh, Quaker culture. I wanted to come and just feel it. No, because mm-hmm. all learning is in the feeling. Yeah. So at which point she said, "You know, that's very interesting because we had a uh, person who was studying theology and he came here and he asked a lot of questions from us." And I thought. Uh, at one stage, she said it was very funny. She said, "I thought uh, his head was swol- swollen by the time he left," and she was so clever. She was so wise in many ways because she realizes that this brain-centric learning, which is all about taking more information from people, misses the point that people don't learn from more information. People learn through experience. Yeah. There's something happening in that room. There is a lot happening in that room that needs to be felt. You have to feel it because through that feeling, it will become part of the body. And when it becomes part of the body, this is when people experience a shift in their perspective and shift in their worldview. Yeah. And that shift in the worldview is what is the ideal ground for learning. You know, great educationalists like Ken Robinson, Guy Claxton. There's so many of them yeah. have made this point that uh, Peter Senge, Peter Senge, have made the point that. Learning has to be felt and experienced, and and to answer your question, yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. That brain-centric, information-based regurgitation. Somebody says something, and you just vomit it out, pass the test, sh- get a certificate. Is not learning. Learning has to be felt. Yes, yeah. and that that just takes you further and further away of having standing any chance of understanding the different worldview, the different perspective and hence take you even further away from uh, risk intelligence or risk maturity. Uh, and, and, you know, but, but there is a danger to that because what happened in the case of my father-in-law was he felt something unusual, but he could not rationalize it. He could not give that feeling a name. So he felt something. You know, he didn't read a book on the Western culture. He felt it. He could not make an attempt, he could, did not slow down to rationalize it, he bang, went back to his own worldview, reinforced it even yeah. more, for the last 11 years he's been telling this story that this is, this is nonsense. And this is the problem, you see, when you feel something and you feel it's awkward and if you don't take the time to reflect on it, you will just keep reinforcing what you already know for the rest of your life. And that's dissonance, that's cognitive dissonance. But if you like, like, you know... Sorry. Which is what exactly what happens when you're confronted with a, uh, an inspector that issues a, a nonconformity. That's right. Yes, yes. And it leaves both sides more bitter. Yep. More yep. hurtful. More hurtful, and it creates it increases the gap between yep. the two sides. And hence, what you get at the end of it is two. Rather than one culture, you get subcultures. Yeah. And those, those subcultures keep colliding. And the funny bit is we think that we can solve all this through processes and structures. Yeah. yeah. Wishful thinking. Yeah. yeah. You need to bring it back to relationships. Trust. Asking open questions. Surrendering control. Listening. Observing the world from another person's 
point of view. So I think that's where we started. Yes, yes. yes. I think we closed the loop magnificently. Thank you. It's wonderful. Anything you'd like to? No, no, it's, it's good. It's good fun. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, yes. Do you have any questions, any feedback, any comments, any criticism? You can always write to us. You can write to me personally at support at novellas.solutions. You can also leave a message for us on our website, novellas.solutions. You can email me personally at nepin.anand.novellas.solutions and you can find me on LinkedIn. Until then, have a good day.